This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for April 26, 2019. In this week's episode, we'll talk about the variables when it comes to upgrading your Mac and discuss options for owners of older Macs who still want security updates. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Spring is in the air where I live, unfortunately so, because this means high pollen again. I think we talked about this on our last episode. Uh, it's really brutal. But spring is the time when flowers bloom and there's renewal in nature. And you think about things like cleaning things and refreshing things. When was the last time you upgraded one of your Macs, Josh? I think the last time that I actually bought a new Mac was uh, like 2011. It's been a while. Okay, actually bought a new Mac. Does that mean that employers have provided you with Macs, in which case you don't have to worry about buying yeah, that's one? That's pretty much the thing, yeah. I, I tend to... Or Macs fall off trucks where you live? <laughs> no, no. No, no. It's mostly uh, employer-issued um, Mac laptops that I've been primarily using for the past several years. But I am building a computer and and that um, may or may not run Mac OS in the near future once I f- yes. eventually get that thing built. You, you've mentioned this months ago, and, and I know what a project this is. Um, we'll maybe talk about this in another episode, go into more details about building a working Mac computer that's not a Mac, or what we call a Hackintosh. But what I wanted to talk about today was the idea of upgrading hardware. You know, everyone's use case is different. You've got a Mac at home for your family, and it may last for years, and five years, six years, eight years. I just replaced a Mac Mini um, that was from late 2011. So that was seven years old. It worked as a server. It worked fine. I eventually replaced it because it didn't have USB-C and I wanted a faster hard drive. I use it as a server for my media collection. Um, so I wanted something a little bit faster. But a lot of people, they buy Macs, they keep them for a long time. And, and the real question is, how long should you wait before you upgrade your Apple hardware? And of course, there are lots of variables. We'll talk about Macs first, then we'll talk about iOS devices, because I think the difference between the two is quite striking, the way we use them, the amount of wear they get, etc. The first thing to note is that if you buy Apple Care for a Mac, it's good for three years. So Apple considers that that computer is going to last for three years without a problem. Let's face it, um, it's kind of like a lottery when you buy Apple Care, both for Apple and for the purchaser. They're assuming that they're not going to have any expensive problems that would cost more than the Apple Care cost. You're assuming that you will have one that will cost more than the Apple Care cost. But that gives you an idea. Since they won't cover a Mac for more than three years, that gives you an idea that they really don't feel comfortable with more than three years. Yet, I've had one for seven years. I know you've got an old iMac that you're still using from 2011, 2012 as well. Yeah. Well, I've got um, I've got a couple of iMacs. Um, I've got one, actually, even a 2007 model that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and then I also have a 2011 model iMac, and that's been kind of sort of the main Mac that I own for a number of years now. Yeah. So the thing about Macs, of course, is the expense. And what's interesting is people are a lot less likely to put that money into a Mac 
than they would into an iPhone or an iPad because of the, what would you call it, the personal nature of the iPhone, something you carry around with you all day. Unless you work on a Mac, you don't have that same relationship with your device. So as a journalist writing about Macs, I used to update my Macs every 18 to 24 months. And I would do that because, well, years ago, there were big differences um, every couple years in Macs in terms of features and processor, et cetera. And that slowed down. But also that 18 to 24 month period was a really good time to sell a used Mac. It was still at a decent enough value that you'd get a, a good amount of money for it. Because if you wait more than three years, then you know the value drops a lot. I'll put a link in the show notes to an episode we did about buying and selling used Macs, because that alone is an interesting topic. But the idea here is your Mac is a lot of things. If it's a work tool like it is for me, I have to upgrade and stay up to date. If it's something that your family's using, your kids are using for games, you're using for home activities, it's less important. But no matter what, we still get to a point when the Mac is too old to run the current operating system, which means the Mac is too old to get security updates. And we talk about this all the time, how important these security updates are. And when you look at which Macs are able to run Mac OS X Mojave, for example, my Mac Mini, which was a late 2011 uh, just dropped out. It would work on the previous operating system, High Sierra, but not on Mojave. We've got an article on the Intego Mac security blog called How to Keep Older Macs Secure, a Geeky Approach. We'll link to that because we're going to talk about some of what's in there. But if you look at it, the only Macs that support Mojave are MacBooks that are from early 2015 or later. The MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro go back to mid-2012, the Mac Mini late 2012, the iMac late 2012, the iMac Pro, well, it's recent, so it only goes back to 2017, and the Mac Pro goes back to late 2013, and then there are these two models um, with specific graphic cards from 2010-2012. So you're able to get the latest operating system and the latest security updates if you've got something that's compatible according to those. But if something gets older, then you're opening yourself up to all sorts of issues. Yeah. One of the things that you need to worry about is, as you said, is my Mac still going to be able to get operating system updates? Now, one thing that differs between Mac and iOS is that on the Mac, if you've got an older version of Mac OS, so let's say that you have a Mac model that can't be upgraded to Mojave, but you can run High Sierra on it. Apple will still release at least some security updates for High Sierra and also Sierra in this case, which is the two previous versions of Mac OS. And so if you've still got um, a little bit older hardware, you can't upgrade your operating system, you will still get some security updates from Apple for a period of time. And this is, this is different from iOS where you only have the most recent version of iOS still getting updates, which means that there's a pretty big difference here between having a Mac and having a mobile device because the mobile device, you pretty much just get that few years. You don't get a sort of a grace period like you do on a Mac where you can run an older operating system for a few, a couple additional years. Yeah. Most of those Macs are mid 2012 or late 2012 or more recent. So you're talking six years from those Macs to Mojave with a release of an operating system every year. Right. And it does vary. Um, you know, sometimes Apple will go several years supporting the same models of Macs. 
And, you know, in this case, uh, Mojave happened to drop a number of models off of the list. It does, it does vary from year to year, but um, typically it's somewhere around five or six years or so that Apple will continue to release some security update for whatever Mac model you might have. Now, most people are going to say, well, if I don't use my Mac a lot and I can't afford to upgrade, then what should I do? If you want to stay secure, what do you do? You're going to face issues more and more. I, I think one thing to do is, would you agree with me that the most common vector for malware these days is the web browser? Yeah, I I, I would say that's that's probably true because a lot of people tend to, um, you know, casually browse sites or maybe they go to um, sites that are maybe a little bit questionable and then, you know, they get some advertisements popping up and it tries to tell them to install a Flash Player Update, which, of course, we know that we don't really need Flash Player updates downloaded via... Don't need Flash Player. Nope. <laughs> no, we don't even need Flash Player at all anymore. Um, and so that tends to be one of the most common ways that Macs get infected these days. So if you can't update Mac OS to the most recent version, stop using Safari because you won't be getting Safari updates. But if you're using Firefox or Chrome or another browser, you'll be able to get their updates, assuming they'll work with your operating system. Right. But when your Mac, let's say you've got a Mac that will run High Sierra, not Mojave, Pretty much every browser is going to be able to run on Mojave and High Sierra and Sierra and a couple of revs back. So you're definitely protected a lot more with an alternate browser than you are with Safari. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, Apple does issue some patches uh, that are relevant to Safari if you have one of the two previous versions of Mac OS. Um, but what you often don't get is uh, you don't necessarily get the latest version of Safari. So you may be getting some, um, you know, minor security updates. Um, but but when it comes to features, you may not necessarily get that if you're still running an older version of Mac OS. And as we've mentioned several times, Safari uses what's called WebKit, which is a framework that renders web pages. But iTunes also uses WebKit. The Finder uses WebKit for the sidebars. Mail uses WebKit to display HTML messages. So WebKit's used all around. If you're not getting updates to WebKit, you still have possible security issues in other apps. Right, right. That's absolutely true. And, and, and in fact, so WebKit, I, I should point out, WebKit is one of the things that typically does get updated pretty well for the two previous operating systems. So, um, you know, basically that's how you get your Safari updates, more or less. Um, sometimes Apple has released a newer version of Safari for older operating systems, but they don't necessarily always do that. But at the very least, they'll patch those WebKit vulnerabilities for the two previous operating systems. But, but I definitely agree with you. I would much prefer to use uh, Chrome or Firefox if I've got an older operating system because those browsers do typically support older versions of macOS than even Apple still supports. And of course, you don't want to necessarily have a version of macOS that's older than the two previous versions. Um, but if you really have to, if you can't buy a new Mac and you don't like the other alternatives that we'll talk about, then um, you could still run an older version of Mac OS with, uh, with an alternative browser. I don't really recommend it, 
but at least it's it's better than trying to use Safari on an older Mac. Yeah, I think any modern browser is going to be relatively resource intensive. So it's going to require a faster processor and more RAM that you may have in a Mac that's six or eight years old. In fact, that's one of the biggest problems with an older Mac. Less the processor than the actual amount of RAM. If we go back then, I'm pretty sure that the Mac Mini that I bought shipped with two gigabytes of RAM by default. Now, I put eight or 16 into it. Maybe it shipped with four, but it wouldn't be much more than that. Um, so if you go back far enough, and you know a lot of people don't even get additional RAM, you're, you may have a computer that, while it can run the operating system, can run a modern browser, will just choke when you try to do anything. Now, certain uh, iMacs, you can change the RAM on, you can add additional RAM, but you haven't been able to do that on an Apple laptop since I don't know how long. Um, the Mac Mini, my 2011, I wasn't, yes, I think I was able to add RAM to it, um, but I think that might have been the last one. I know that the current one you can't uh, add RAM to. Uh, the Mac Mini's always been a funny product for that. There were some models where there was sort of a round circular plastic bit on the bottom. You would just unscrew it, open it up, your RAM would be in there, and you'd have access to a couple of other things. The early Mac Minis that had this white plastic top, you had to use a putty knife to pry it off. It would clip on, and it was really hard to get it open. When you did, you could add RAM to it. In fact, I even changed a hard drive in one of those once, but not for the faint of heart to be prying open a Mac with a putty knife. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I've actually seen both of those Mac mini models, and it's certainly a lot easier. A- Apple has typically designed the iMacs to be more uh, user RAM upgradable, at least. Um, and most of the time on a lot of um, iMac models, what you'll have is, uh, and we're, of course, we're talking about the flat screen iMacs, not the really, really old iMacs. Uh, anyway, so, but if you, if you typically, if you had a flat screen iMac, and I'm not sure if they do this on the latest model. They do it on the 27 inch, but not on the 21.5. And in the past few generations, that's been the problem. So my current iMac that I bought last year is 21.5 because I didn't need the bigger display and I had to pay the Apple tax to buy additional RAM, and I can't add RAM now. Uh, but the 27-inch, you can still, there's a little trap door that opens, you can still add RAM. Right, exactly. And that does make it actually really easy to do RAM upgrades. And that's really the only Mac these days where you can easily upgrade the RAM like that because of that nice RAM slot. Oh, there's still the 2013 Mac Pro that they still sell at 2015 prices. And you unscrew the top and take it off. You can put RAM and anything into it, but don't buy that. Yeah, I wouldn't buy it. Okay, you mentioned earlier something you're going to do to your 2007 iMac, and this is really interesting because you told me about it before the show. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I want to hear this story. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac, or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. 
Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 50%. That's PODCAST19 to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, so before the break, I mentioned, Josh, that you told me about a project you have for a 2007 iMac. That's 11, 12 years old, depending on which month you bought it in. To me, that would pretty much be something I'd write off. In fact, you could probably buy a 2007 iMac for 50 bucks on eBay, right? No, unfortunately, Macs actually hold their value pretty well. Um, it would it would be pretty tough to find a whole working Mac of just about any vintage for 50 bucks on eBay. Uh, unless it's really, really, really old and maybe really lightweight, you know, you might be able to find something for that cheap. Okay, a hundred bucks. I'm looking on eBay. There's things around a hundred, a hundred and ten. There's some even at two hundred. And two hundred dollars for a, a eleven, twelve year old iMac. That seems like a lot. Uh, yeah. Well, so here, here's the thing, and here's the reason why I'm I'm looking at this 2007 iMac and seeing what I can do with it. So we've got, uh, as I mentioned, we've got two iMacs. We've got a 2007 model. That's what um, my kids use for homework and stuff like that. And right now it's stuck on Mac OS 10.11, which is El Capitan. And that version of Mac OS, of course, is, is not getting uh, any security updates anymore ever since the release of Mac OS Mojave, because now it's three versions old, and there's no officially supported way to get a newer version of Mac OS running on that hardware. So um, this is where that article that you mentioned comes in, How to Keep Older Mac Secure, a Geeky Approach. Uh, Jay wrote this up for the Mac Security blog recently, and he talks about what you can do. This is, this is a v- very geeky approach, as the title indicates. This is not something that um, necessarily everybody will want to invest the time to try something like this. And if you're not comfortable using a putty knife to open a Mac Mini, I would avoid it. <laughs> right, uh, right. So, so this is something where you don't necessarily need to upgrade your hardware. Um, in fact, for the most part... Uh, you can basically just get a flash drive and reformat it. And if you're comfortable doing that, and if you've ever installed macOS before, you can probably make it through this process. And essentially what the process is, is it's taking the version of macOS Mojave that, that Apple currently makes available and adding kind of a couple of drivers to it. Driver is... Uh, something that we don't usually think or talk about on Mac OS. Uh, it's kind of uh, usually a, like a Windows or Linux concept of um, essentially it's a way that your computer can talk to your hardware properly. There's, there's software that, that enables that process. Well, one example we have on the Mac is you may need drivers for a printer or a scanner. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so basically what this does is it takes the official Mac OS installer from Apple and that it injects some drivers that support some older Mac models, uh, including my 2007 iMac. I just want to stop because you said a word there that I know has has weight in security. You said inject. 
That sounds a little bit suspicious. Should one trust this sort of software? That's a really excellent question. <laughs> and um, and this, this is actually a really similar uh, process in some ways and a similar conundrum to whether you should try to build a Hackintosh because essentially you're having to trust some third-party developer to do um, you know, development on some things that you're sticking into your operating system. At the lowest level of the operating system. These aren't just apps. Yeah, exactly. This is not something that you just run on top of your safe and secure operating system. This is something that you're actually putting into the operating system to make it run differently. And so, yes, there, there, there is sort of a certain level of trust that you need to have. You know, uh, you have to trust this developer who makes this patcher. And uh, Jay says, oh, yeah, I know this guy. I've been, you know, installing his updates for years. <laughs> but his name, his nickname, at least on his website, is DOS Dude one And I'm kind of scratching my head going, <laughs> really? Should I trust this guy? I don't know. Okay, to be fair, there's a pretty vibrant community around Hackintoshes. So if there were any issues, most of them would be discovered, but you never know. There could be security issues. There could be a backdoor sending data to Russia, and you wouldn't know about it, and people wouldn't find out about it. Well, and, and that's that's a, a possibility, yeah. And unfortunately, with when you're tweaking the operating system itself, of course, we know that um, Intego NetBarrier can tell you if apps on your computer are trying to phone home to Russia. Um if you've got something that's buried deep within the operating system, um, it's possible that something buried that deeply might be able to get around whatever software you might have running on your machine. Um, now, I in this case, I feel like it's probably worth it to, to uh, trust this developer. For this particular scenario, all I'm really doing is uh, taking a, an obsolete Mac that I can't run a current and supported and security updates available operating system on. And I'm trying to at least get it to the point where it can be patched. I can run the latest operating system and still get security updates from Apple. And so it's kind of, there's the balance, right? It's figuring out, do I, um, do I want to trust this guy and at least get patches up to date? Or do I want to suffer with not having the latest patches? Okay, so in your case, it's not just a question of installing these patches. You're also doing some surgery on the hardware. Yeah, there's one model that's on the list that can only be upgraded to Mojave if you also do a processor upgrade. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I happen to have that iMac model, and that's the process that I'm attempting right now. I got a processor on eBay and installed it last night, and I'm I'm still in the process of putting the Mac back together because unfortunately, it's as you said, it's not for the faint of heart, and you've got to get everything lined up just right in order to to have the case close when you put everything back together. So, um, but hopefully, I will have an update. We'll recommend iFixit's instructions about how to open a Mac and replace things. I'm gonna put a link in the show notes. In fact, we'll put a link in the show notes to the exact model that Josh. Um, was doing. The instructions are very detailed. They have photos. They show you all the tools you need, all the parts. Take a big table, lay out the parts. I use little bowls, um, little tiny bowls, and I put each bunch of screws or whatever into the bowls in order that I take them out. So as I have to, when I finish, I have to go back in the opposite order. I haven't done this in years. 
Um, but when I do this, I want to make sure I don't end up with those three screws at the end and try to remember where they were supposed to go. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, an, an alternative way to do that is to, um, when you take out the screws to lay them out in the same order that you took them out, put them in sort of a pattern. So you'll remember what order to put them back in. And of course you, as part of those, I fix it guides, they also will tell you, um, you know, if, if you've got screws of a different length or they may have different threads on them or different head size, um, they'll, they have it color coded. So as long as you're not colorblind, <laughs> you can relatively easily tell where those are supposed to go back. So how difficult is it to change a processor on an iMac? Now I've done this on PCs. I've done this on computers running Linux and you kind of unplug the processor. It's got a whole bunch of pins that go into the motherboard, but it's not like that on a Mac, is it? Um, yeah, no, actually, it's it's pretty much the, the same, at least on this old 2007 uh, iMac that I've taken apart. It's still, um, I, I don't know if they still call it that or still called it that in 2007, but I remember um, doing some processor upgrades for some older um, uh, PowerPC Macs, the G3 models. And they used to call it a zero insertion force, you know, ZIF processor upgrade. That's right. Yeah. And it's still basically the same. Um, you, um, you, once you remove the old processor, um, as you mentioned, there's a whole bunch of pins underneath that you want to be really careful to make sure you're not bending any of those because then the processor is useless after that. But uh, you remove the old processor, put in the new one, and then tighten everything back down. And and it's a very involved process. This is not something that... <laughs> if you say it that way, it sounds easy. Remove the old processor, put in the new one, and close it. It's not like that, though. No, no. It's, well, take, if, if you're curious about the process, take a look at, at the link in the show notes because you'll see that it's yeah. there's something like 40 steps and then you've got to go through those steps in reverse to put everything back together. Yeah. So so this isn't an, an iMac with the what would you call it the straight sides before they got really thin. Is this the one where you have to put suction cups on the screen to take it off? Yes. Yeah, this is one of those. So the screen is held magnetically, which is a really interesting way to put it on. It's actually the screen cover goes over the actual display panel, and that's held magnetically. So you take these suction cups and pull it off. Right. Um, you don't have to pry anything. It comes off relatively easily. Right. Yeah, you take you take the screen off with, uh, with suction cups, and then there's a bunch of screws... And, you know, and you go through this layer by layer and there's, it's pretty crazy. It's very, it's very complicated. Um, but, uh, you know, if you've, if you've never done this before, it's scary to go through a process like this. If you're, if you've taken apart computers or if you've never built a PC also. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, if, if you're adventurous enough, you can certainly, I think just about anybody can follow this guide. You have to have a little bit of self-confidence <laughs> because, um, you know, you're going to be getting into some unfamiliar territory and, and that can be kind of scary. But uh, but the guide's written pretty well, so you could follow it. Yeah, I actually recommend that anyone who's got an old Mac um, and is curious should do this once just to see what the process is, to see what your Mac is made of, to see how compact it is, how well it's designed inside. It, it's actually an interesting thing to see. Um, you will need a toolkit, and I'll put a link someplace to the iFixit toolkit, which I use. It's got like 60 different screw heads, and I, I know that there are times when I've needed like 10 of them for any given device, because none of them all use Phillips heads or flathead screws. They all have these Torx 
screws of different sizes and all that. But the process is interesting to do this. And if it's a really old Mac and you're just going to try and upgrade it and it's not expensive, go for it. it. It's fun. Of course, you know, be prepared that it will maybe not work because you'll lose a part or screw something in the wrong way. Or as Josh said, those pins, there are all sorts of connectors that have pins. You have to make sure they go in perfectly straight. If one of those pins bends, well, you're stuck. One thing I'm interested in is I took apart an old Mac some years ago, and this was even before I had cats, and I was amazed how much dust was inside it. Yes. What was yours like? There was a ton of dust. It, it had been a few years, yeah. I think, since the last time I took this apart. Um, I have replaced the internal hard drive before on this. In fact, that was that's also one of the upgrades that I'm doing, is replacing the hard drive with a solid-state drive. Um, to also assist in helping it to run faster. I figured if I'm going to run the latest operating system on it, I also want it to be as fast as possible. So, And, and that's a good point. So if you're going to upgrade your own Mac, the two best things you can do are upgrade from a hard drive to an SSD because uh, the operating system is read so much faster that everything is faster, and add more RAM. Uh, find what the fastest RAM that your Mac can handle is. Usually that's what's in it, but it might not be if you put third-party RAM in at the time. But the SSD uh, is what really makes a difference. So that thing about the dust is actually something that annoys me on Macs. That you can't clean them out, you can't open them. And in, in any normal environment, you've got a lot of dust and it goes in and it doesn't go out. I remember when I bought the um, 2003 trash can uh, Mac Pro, you could screw off the outside cylinder and as I said earlier, you could take it off, put RAM in and things, and, and it was really easy. But at one point, a few months after I had it, I took it off, and there was an amazing amount of dust in there. Because that Mac sat on your desk, and so it was getting the dust that was on your desk. It wasn't like, say, the, the what we call the cheese grater, um, the G5 or the Power Mac, which you would put it on the floor, but it'd be a few inches above the floor. So the air that came in wouldn't come just from the floor. Now, I did have a cat at this point, but he never went on my desk. That doesn't mean that there wasn't dust in my office, but it was an amazing amount of dust. And this is something in an old Mac that can hinder airflow and ventilation, can make it run hotter, which can in turn slow down the processor, etc. And I kind of regret that Apple doesn't give you a way to clean out the dust in a Mac. Right. Well, yeah. And in this case, with my 2007 iMac, the only way to really thoroughly clean all the dust out is to take the entire thing apart. So I did also take the opportunity to blow some dust bunnies out of the Mac because there were a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So you bought a processor for how much on eBay? Well, I found a really good deal. So, uh, but it was twenty bucks, and I and I think you can usually find this processor for somewhere in the neighborhood of like thirty-two to forty dollars. And your SSD cost? Um, I think it was about thirty bucks. I think I think the total with everything that I that I bought for this upgrade was um, you know eighty bucks or less. Okay, that's not bad. So for $80, you've got an old iMac that you might be able to upgrade to use Mojave more or less safely, depending on how good those patches are and how reliable they are. And and of course, one of the issues is, do you get software updates to Mojave? Do you have to update the patches when they come out? And that's another story. And we we will talk about that at some point in the future, because Josh is building a real Hackintosh. um, And I've already tried to build a Hackintosh, but we will talk about that at some point. I think that's enough. Uh, So basically, the takeaway is, if you can afford a new Mac to stay up to date with the current operating system, do so. If not, there are options. If you've got the right tools and you've got some time and you're creative and patient, 
why not do what Josh did? Yeah, well, and getting back to uh, to that story, remember, there was only that one model where you actually have to do this processor upgrade. So if you were afraid after hearing about all of this taking a part of a computer, you actually don't have to do that for just about any other Mac model. I just, of course, happen to have the most difficult one to upgrade. So if you're comfortable more with software updates, um, you know, this is something that's uh, that's actually kind of plausible for some older Mac models. Okay, well, until next week, Josh, stay secure and good luck with your project. All right, thanks. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.